You're listening to How I Sell, a podcast built for early career sales professionals. You'll hear stories, best practices, and guidance from top sales leaders on what it takes to become a sales superstar. Today's episode is made possible by Ramped Careers. Ramped is on a mission to build the next generation of workforce-ready talent. Joining us today is Courtney Griffin, VP of Sales at Improvado. Courtney has held sales leadership roles at Pinpoint Predictive and Owner IQ. Really impressive background. Thank you so much, Courtney, for joining us today. Thank you both for having me. Courtney, for those that don't know you, uh, who is Courtney Griffin? Let's see. I am passionate about my career. I mean, in my um, my personal life as a, an individual, I like to spend a lot of time with family, friends. I played tennis in college. I play music on the regular. So I have um, lots of different personal things that I do. But yeah, I like to really spend time with the, the people around me. And then I spend quite a bit of time at work, candidly. <laughs> That's impressive. I'm, uh, I'm so glad to hear that uh, that you play tennis. It's something that I picked up uh, much later on in life. And, uh, and I've got gotten reasonably good at. So uh, it's always a pleasure to connect with other folks that uh, that appreciate the game as much as I do. Yeah, if you're ever out in San Francisco, we should, uh, we should play, see how gonna, it goes. I'm going to take you up on it. Looks like looks like you're a little bit competitive. So I'm going <laughs> to come in with some apprehension. Uh, but that's, that's great. Hey, one of the things that that that, that I see, and it, it looks like, you know, you seem to like this quote from Simon Sinek, right? And it reminds me of this concept of ikigai, right? The, the reason for being uh, the Japanese quote, but essentially it boils down to a feeling inspired and safe and grateful and fulfilled about the work that we do. Um, his view, and I think you share the same sentiment, is that that's something that everyone is entitled to. And it's not this abstract notion of luxury that is only afforded to some. You know, with that as a, as a backdrop, right, is that something that you felt early on in your career? Or is that something that um, you've kind of learned and refined over time? Yeah, and maybe that's a better way of jumping into the deep question of who I am. But um, definitely, I would say it's been, um, it's evolved throughout my career. I mean, early in my career, I generally feel like everyone should feel we spend most of our time at work, so everyone should feel safe, comfortable, like they're achieving fulfilled, right, in general, in their life, and um, certainly where they spend a majority of their time. So earlier in my career, when I was just starting, I got this idea, but I also thought that I had to be kind of a professional robot of sorts, like there was um, a certain box that I had to fit in. And mm -hmm. so because I didn't understand the workplace, I, I think I erred more on that side, more risk averse to like exposing elements of my personality or, or who I am. And then as I started to work and understood that this is where I'm spending all my time, building relationships and being authentic is actually a huge value. Um, I'm valuable. You know, I want to find companies that want to understand who I am and what I care about there. That started to evolve. And then, you know, eventually in my career, which we'll, um, I'm sure, dive into later, moved into management where I was able to um, kind of um, enable that for my team and make people feel safe. It's very different from, um, you know, a boss, you know, sales individual relationship than it, when you're just um, selling as an individual contributor. So um, mm -hmm. definitely something I've always felt um, has definitely evolved as I've moved throughout my career. And, and I guess kind of going back in time 
to your point, truly believe that a lot of others feel the same way when you're starting out, right? You beyond grades, there's really not very many things that you can hang your hat on for affirmation, right? I feel like confidence builds over time just because of fine, just because of the, the, the value of experiences that you've had 10 years ago. I was very apprehensive and scared. I felt like I was not worth very much and that I had to prove a lot in order to be recognized as a, a meaningful member of society. Uh, and it looks like, you know, your thinking was somewhat similar. Is that is that a mischaracterization? Is that a, is that a fair way of thinking about it? Yeah, I mean, it, early in your life, like you, as you grow up in your life, you're always measured in some way. So you can kind of, people I've seen tend to assign some level of value to that, like your grades, or for me, I played, I played tennis, so mm -hmm. I could um, see how well I was doing in these things that I cared about. And it was very measured and clear. Like I, mm -hmm. I won or I lost. And then, yeah, when you um, get into your career, it's a lot, um, especially when you're first starting, that's a lot more um, uh, difficult to understand, mm -hmm. like how you're doing and how to evaluate how you contribute in the part of something much larger, because also you can be not successful in some positions and it doesn't have anything to do with you, honestly. But that is certainly um, a good characterization of how I feel. That kind of context um, as the as the backdrop, um, you, you graduated from school, you have a degree in psychology, you play tennis. Uh, if I had to take a wild guess, I would, I would say that you did pretty well in college. How did you land in sales? I mean, I, I see that you you did really well. If there's anything that that epitomizes like success in every role, it's, it's, it's you. I would encourage all of our viewers yeah. or listeners to just go to your LinkedIn profile. And I, all I see is like success after success. But how did you like, did you want to be in sales? Was there someone in your family? How did you end up at, at the job that you did? Well, I'll tell you the real story. I mean, so first of all, I got a degree in philosophy, which I feel like is not as good as second or not socially it, considered as strong. Yeah. Was it philosophy like even better, even better. Um, yeah. It's like my parents were in college, you know, they were, they on it. We had a conversation where they were concerned that I was going to live out of a box. You know, they're like, what are you going to do? with the philosophy degree. And at that time, actually, I was considering law school, I didn't know. So I was like, you know, I you know you learn logic, I like to think about things. That's just, um, that's also a part of me. And I was like, I, you know, if I'm paying for this education, I want to actually learn something I like. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, I went to a liberal arts school. So I learned many different categories of things. It wasn't just philosophy. But yeah, and then, um, so I got I did what I like, despite um, advice from people who, you know, should know more from me. And I think that's kind of a theme in my career also that I'd encourage everyone to think about because I always kind of knew that that was what was right for me. I just didn't know how it would turn out in the end. Then, you know, you graduate and my grades were good, but they weren't that good. You know, mm -hmm. like it, it, there's a, I got like um, above average grades, you know, they weren't perfect. So, and you, and what I'll tell everyone to kind of demystify coming out of college too is that you just have to show some level of like commitment and success you don't need to have straight A's and then when you interview everyone looks the same on paper so there's tons of different um, things you can do in the interview process that'll impress somebody and show your hiring manager what you're about and it's not just your GPA like if you have a, a 3.5 or a 3.0 someone who you know, depending on, you know, what you're interviewing for a lot of sales roles, like you're going to be fine if you exhibit the profile that they're looking to hire. So anyway, so that was college. Back to your question around like, how did I decide I wanted to be in sales? I didn't. My dad was a salesman, his career. So I had some background um, learning from him there, um, mostly learning how to interview, mm -hmm. honestly. 
um, was helpful. I interviewed for some jobs. I interviewed in marketing, just like whoever would take a philosophy major. <laughs> and, um, and eventually I got um, a position from an alumni from my college who gave me a chance. And that's really what got me into the workforce. It was a guy who thought I was a hungry kid, wanted to learn mm-hmm. um, from my small liberal arts school and wanted to give me a chance. And that's really all it was. So you start this job and, and, and you say that, I don't know, if, I don't know if, it's, if, if it's accurate to say that you got lucky. Maybe it's a combination of you're putting yourself out there, right? You're applying for jobs. You, you, you were arguably very good at interviewing and maybe that's a mm-hmm. skill that you picked up from, from family, mm-hmm. but that still doesn't explain how you did so well in your, in your first job. A lot of folks like struggle. Yeah. What happened there? And and what did you do right to see the the type of success that you saw so early on professionally? Yeah, and it wasn't all, it was like, put, you know, doing the work to put yourself in the right position at the right time and, and somebody giving you a shot. So you're certainly, um, that's a good point. But um, yeah, you know, I worked my ass off and I made it clear to my boss that I wanted to do anything he needed. Mm-hmm. And I was so grateful for the opportunity. And this is in 2010. So mm-hmm. there was like this, I'm a millennial. There's lots of like stereotypes around millennials, like not being grateful and all of that. Like I wanted my work and my actions to show that that was not, you know, the stereotype was not, you know, who I am. And, and so I did lots of different work. I started as a sales coordinator, which is really um, what an SDR is today. So I mm-hmm. managed inbound leads. Um, it took up like, you know, an hour of my day. Mm-hmm. And to qualify them off to the sales team. So I would find other things to do. I self started in that way. Um, I was, there was no job that was beneath me. I put labels on things. So I think that kind of attitude and, you know, showing up for the company and showing your work ethic. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, my profile, like when, when I'm being hired, especially when I was an individual contributor in this way, was like a hardworking individual who's hungry to learn and will do anything. Mm-hmm. Team player, good culture fit. That's like, that was my profile. And I would really encourage anyone going through this, that most good hiring managers, if they see a young talent like that, hungry hardworking, grateful, nothing beneath them, a good culture fit. That's a rare talent. So if you can, you know, kind of harness that in yourself, um, that was what made me so successful early on. And the advice that I would give to um, other individuals in the start of their career. Let me ask you a, a slightly more tactical question. Uh, and we'll go back mm-hmm. to this idea of, of finding uh, fulfillment with whatever you choose to do for work. One way of looking at it is you have to put in some effort in order to be able to realize it, right? It's just not going to be given to you. And so you can ask yourself the question, what are the levers that I can control? One lever you can control is where you choose to work. The second lever you can control is what do you do when you show up to work, right? So those are the two things that are in your control. Other stuff completely out of your control is nothing you can do. As an early career professional that's looking at their first job in sales or second job in sales, when you don't know as much, right, what can you do to pragmatically control those levers so that you make that right decision so at least you give yourself the best possible shot to succeeding? I think when it comes to the first, like where you work, you have a lot less control because you don't have a track record in the work world. You only have so many companies that are hiring for the most entry-level position. What I would encourage with um, that first piece is to go somewhere that you're passionate, especially in sales, passionate about the product, passionate about the people. You can't go somewhere that you don't believe in. 
This mm-hmm. doesn't mean it, it doesn't have to be Google or Facebook, you know, mm-hmm. like my first job was at an 18 person startup in Chicago and that no one knew about and they ended up getting acquired and did pretty well. Um, I didn't know that then, but I was the first opportunity I got. I liked the product, the idea of it. I was hungry to learn in that space. That was enough for me in that area. The bigger piece that you can control, and I love how you put that because throughout your whole career, um, you should always be thinking about like, what do I have control over? What do I have influence? What is just completely outside of that realm? You can control what you show up to do. And so again, that's when it comes to constantly showcasing like who you are in that profile. In sales, just hit your number. You know, and if you have, um, that's a really great way early on to show that you're valuable. Just hit your numbers. Talk to your boss, be candid to your boss about like, how you think you can do that, come up with creative ideas, get their input um, to do that, but showcase that overall profile and um, make sure that you're hitting the expectations that have been set for you. And, you know, kind of going going down uh, that line of questioning another level deeper, a lot of companies today, especially B2B businesses, um, when you come in as an entry-level sales professional and you're trying to hit your numbers, you're tasked with um, having to sell into people that are have 20 years over you, right? They're senior business leaders, decision makers that have some VP or some C or some director title in front of them. But on the other end of the spectrum, you have a, a college graduate that's, that's, that's a little bit shaky, a little bit apprehensive, hasn't really found their footing. And that's something that I, I, I see today, right? When I, you know, sometimes I'm sure you get cold calls and cold emails from SDRs and there's a bit of nervousness. There's a little bit of apprehension. It doesn't feel like it's a discussion of peers. It almost feels like there's one person at this level and there's another one at that. And it shouldn't be that way. How did you kind of navigate it? Because the other thing that I'm, 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 I'm kind of looking at all of the, the work that you've done, it looks like you've been, I don't know if forced is the right word, but put in a position where you've had to sell into these really large enterprise accounts, super senior folks. How did you manage that? Did you have any apprehension going in? I wouldn't say that. I think that's kind of, in general, I think you always have a choice how you feel about most things. Like some days you don't want to feel that way, or some days you just like can't make that choice, but you always, mm-hmm. it's always there. Mm-hmm. So I never viewed it. This sounds so cliche, but this is honestly how I view my life. I never was apprehensive or felt like I wasn't. I felt like it was a huge opportunity. And so like early on, I was so excited to be selling into even like mid-level individuals, never mind like very, very senior level individuals at companies. So mm-hmm. I think having that confidence, knowing that you're going to mess up and it's going to be okay. You know, like I messed up so many times early in my career on a call. Like I just like forgot the value prop or like, you know, you're making so many, like that just happens. And knowing mm-hmm. that that's okay and feeling safe in your work environment where it's like next time I'll do better. Really having that kind of mindset was the foundation for everything. And then when you're actually on the call with these people, like um, some more, I guess, tactical advice I could give is be human. No one, no one's going to yell at a kid out of college who's just like trying their best, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if you're on the call with somebody who has a longer career or, and you're like messing up, you can just say, hey, you know, I just started here a couple months ago. My, my boss, you know, talked to me about how important your account is in this meeting. I would really just love to get you guys on a call. Mm-hmm. And that makes like the other individual like under it's authentic, like you can never go wrong with being authentic. And it can help you actually convert, you know, to a meeting, which is typically how you're gold early on. And no one's going to say, you know, that makes the other side feel special, like they're being talked about, you're being real, everyone always appreciates that. And that can kind of help get you through those moments. But the biggest thing is that everyone is in that spot. 
like everyone around you, whether or not you can see that, they all feel that way. So that's just good to know as a sanity. I love how you reframed the, uh, the, the, the question from apprehensive about speaking to prospect X or prospect Y to, I'm excited that I have the opportunity to speak to this person, right? It's a complete reframing of the issue. And then taking comfort in the fact that it's not the end of the world if you mess up and everybody else around you is in the same boat. That's just such a nice way of reframing it. Um, for anyone that's listening, you know, this, this is someone that's, that's been there, done it, and, and real helpful advice. So thank, thank you, Courtney, for that. And Danny, I know you've been itching to ask Courtney about all her trade secrets uh, on, on how she crushed uh, crush quota at, at, at Owner IQ. So, so uh, on to you. I want to jump in. I was definitely excited to have you on the podcast and excited to chat with you a little bit more specifically about your, your impressive sales track. One thing that jumped out at me, though, about what you previously said, and something that I teach junior sellers and, and really any salesperson is just be human. And it's more yeah. evident for me in the qualification process when you're reading off this list of just cookie cutter questions and it can come off as an interrogation. Instead, if you just humanize that experience a little bit more, treat it like there's a person on the other side of the phone instead of just this static prospect. I think that that's that's really great. And it's so basic, but often forgotten. So I'm glad you brought that up. I can't agree anymore. You know, there's all these like sales frameworks that teach you how to cold call and email and it's like be 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 yourself in some like make sure they know it's you and not some automated system hit because I don't respond yeah. to any of those that I get that I know is automated. You know, it's like I, I want to to feel like I'm talking to someone. If you take the time or at least make it seem like you're taking the time, you know? It's just like a basic principle. But yeah, completely agree. Dan. That's right. Your impressive track record at Owner IQ, this appeared to be if not an inflection point, then certainly the the ramp up at your career because it's certain it's it's supremely impressive right you you made president's club year after year you were promoted from senior ae to vp of sales for the west uh what about was it the right mix of people was it the right training what made you so successful there the owner iq is definitely the the biggest piece of my career so far um and just to kind of tie this back to the start so everyone understands this how this evolved i mean my first job i was making twenty thousand dollars out of college my next job i realized you, you know when i realized i wanted to to leave i made i think around like 70 with an ot like a real ote to mm -hmm. double that and then I moved over to Owner IQ, which was to answer your question, um, just right place at the right time. I didn't know this when I was interviewing. I was actually interviewing Owner IQ and Facebook and everything. Um, a lot of the people that I respected that were my friends and um, career people were obviously telling me what a great opportunity Facebook is and all of this stuff. And the process was just really slow. And I got the opportunity at Owner IQ. And I decided to try it. I had a couple things that um, really helped me evolve through Owner IQ. So I had a fantastic boss. I showed up for him. So I constantly put myself position early on. So I started as an AE there and I had a really small book, um, secondary states in the Midwest. Um, the rest of my peers had really big giant accounts in Chicago. I didn't have that. I didn't, you know, I just went and did work. And so then I, you know, I'd find revenue out of these like smaller secondary accounts that weren't used to being called on. And they took my calls quicker and they were more appreciative of what I did. And that helped me get to my um, AE goals at that time. So President's Club first couple, the first two years. Yeah. And then my book built on itself. So it kind of compounded in that way. And so then eventually I realized that at this time I'd spent about five years as an individual contributor. And I realized I wanted more for myself. I wanted to continually challenge myself. 
So I made it known to my boss that I wanted to move into a management type position. I think that part is critical. Like make sure your boss has so much going on at all times. They can try, especially at certain size companies like startup might not have the resources or it's not like their number one fire that day to think about your career track, even though they could genuinely care, make sure that they know how you want to grow. And so I made that really obvious to my boss who was wonderful. And basically they said, you know, we just promoted someone here, um, but the West Coast is falling apart. And if you want to go try and pick up the pieces there, you can do that. And so that's what I did. So I moved out to San Francisco. I inherited um, a very ineffective region. It was very challenging. But again, and I genuinely feel like this, I didn't view it as this thing that could I could fail at. I viewed it as a giant opportunity in my career. And that's what it, but yeah, having um, a boss who understands and believes in you is really important. Um, putting up some early numbers is really important. Showing up with that type of work profile is hugely important to put yourself in position to get to that next step. Great advice. Again, coming back to a theme that we heard earlier, but really this reframing or maybe in innate uh, positivity and optimism that I hear from you and what we've heard from many other sales leaders to just overcome what seems to be a challenge with a uh, change in attitude or change in perspective right off the bat. So I, I love hearing that. Tell me about what that transition was like though. So you're, you know, obviously a top closer and now you're in charge of looks like seven individuals and have to guide them and don't have as much control over your own destiny, but arguably have more responsibility and, and more pressure on what was that transition like for you? Yeah, that transition from individual contributor to leadership really was the hardest transition in my year or my career today by far for a number of reasons. Here's where my friends before to start. So even though I was posting numbers that was at the top of the leaderboard, people will just have opinions about you and what, or put a better way, you know, some people just aren't going to want to work for you. For instance, um, I had one of my really close friends at the time. She was my peer. And then she was working for me. The best advice that I can give anyone going through this transition is that that's okay. Not it says nothing about you or them that they don't have to want to work for you. If if that's the case and somebody's not on the bus, then you just help them leave or you encourage them to find something out for, so that both parties are happy. But there was a lot of transition in terms of um, understanding who was truly on the bus for the way that I was going to run the region. And that was really challenging to navigate. And then at the same time, you know, you're, you're asking yourself, like, am I going to be good at this? This is the first time I've managed, you know, and you really just have to trust your instincts. Like if you've been, you know, successful in the past, like if everyone else can do it, why can't you and just be really, really strong in those interpersonal transitions. And, you know, don't take things personally, but just realize that you really need to make sure that your team wants to work for you. And then you can go hire other people. So, um, yeah, it was challenging that way. Um, having people take me seriously as a manager. I mean, when I was promoted to, to run the Western region at Owner IQ, I think I was 26 or 27. I was very young. That was probably a really big, that was a very big thing. Like uh, my, bo my boss at one point, who was my biggest fan, he was like, I don't know if I can promote you into this because of how old you are. That's wild. And so for me, I'm like, I'm going to get the job done, put the right person in the job. Um, and eventually after years of that kind of, you know, conversation, that that's what happened. But so there was definitely stigma around how young I was and single. And there are definitely those kind of socialized things, but you kind of have to put that out 
out of your mind and just do all the work. But yeah, that transition was very messy with all of that type of stuff. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I went through a similar transition in my first role at Groupon where I, for lack of a better word, graduated from account executive into managing the team that I was selling on. And it was it was difficult. So I, I know that's not an easy thing to always share and appreciate it. and our audience will appreciate the fact that you shared that. Um, I, have, I have another question off that. You mentioned all these things that could have been reasons that folks didn't want to necessarily work for you. One was age, you know, one was potentially your peers now became your subordinates or whatnot. Do you think it was those things alone? Was there was there a component of it that was potentially gender related? Yeah. I mean, um, in my opinion, and also I think personality related, um, like at this, I recently, uh, co-founded a burning man camp. That was like a big part of my life. And, um, there's stigma around that depending on like where you live and, um, what that means. Um, I think my hair was blue at the time. I mean, this goes back to like wanting to, you know, um, be yourself at work and understanding those boundaries. At that point in my life, I was unapologetic about you know, my work, all my numbers were there, you know, my actions were there, like, why do any of these other things matter? So that's a very personal choice for people. But I think like the package around like my physical, like um, identity, like how I appeared, my gender, my age, all kind of packaged into this at the time that made some people concerned or not sure if I'm going to be able to lead a team of people because that's very different, particularly the, you know, some older individuals who, you know, but yeah, it was a complicated package, I think, for people to understand. Thanks for sharing that as well. And having gone through that, and it sounds like it wasn't easy and, and, uh, more kudos to you to even to breaking through that and strive and, and, and thriving in that environment. It looks like you still crushed it and your numbers were great and had a long, impressive career as a manager. What advice could you share with our audience, especially folks that are potentially coming from diverse backgrounds or uh, who are females to give them a leg up so they don't have to battle some of the obstacles that you may have faced uh, at this difficult time in your career? I, I think as long as, you know, you advocate for yourself, you put yourself in, I was um, fortunate to, to be surrounded by people that, you know, my, again, my boss at the time, he, he understood my work ethic and, and my ability to execute on whatever I was given. So I was fortunate, if you're at a company where you don't have that, you should leave because that's totally different. Um, so I was still struggling with those things in a place that was relatively supportive. They just, you know, were confused or um, I don't know, how, how to put that but I'll say just focus on your work do trust your gut and continue to keep your head down and do that work advocate for yourself and really maintain your integrity I, I can give you this example after my first year managing um, we were the only region to um, I was the only region that won president's club that year so we we just fired on all metrics like you know we did a fantastic job and next year my boss came to me and he he said you know i'm thinking about promoting this like younger guy who had been successful as an individual contributor um on the east coast there was so much turmoil around putting me into this role but there was like none of that with and so he's like how would you feel if we put this person in this role tomorrow basically was the context mm -hmm. of the conversation i felt great he was super capable he was wonderful he should be in that role 
and I told him that, you know, like all, all ships rise. If we're, you know, the more people that are successful here and the, putting the right people in position, irregardless of how they're perceived in some ways, that was an opportunity for, and that's how I, I actually felt. That was an opportunity for me to say like, I don't feel threatened by this other person at all. He's incredibly capable. You should promote, him. you know, you should not worry about like, because of the person that I am, I would never feel um, like I need to hold somebody back because of the experience that I had here. And so I think um, that also helped the executive team understand who I was more. And it's just time, like letting that play out and letting people see that. Thank you for sharing that. Truly, truly appreciate that. And for our audience, Courtney just dropped some serious knowledge on all of you. One, uh, you got to have your own back, especially when facing promotion or team changes. You know, if you're not going to have it, no one else will. Two, Focus on the work. This is this is super, super important. And three, grow the pie together. Teamwork makes a dream work is the, the cliche way to put it, but it's super true, especially at startups. If you don't all build together, the startup will fail and it will fall apart. Um, so thanks thanks for sharing all of those, Courtney. This is really great. I want to switch gears a little bit. You've gone on to move on from owner, or you moved on from owner IQ uh, and on to Pinpoint Predictive and now Improvado. And as a manager at both stops, do you subscribe to a specific sales management style? I identify as a servant leader. So for anyone who doesn't know what that it's, um, it, it basically uh, means I serve my team. Empathize with my team. I listen to what they say. I expect them to bring me what's in their way. My job is to get it out of their way. I want to make sure that they're doing well from like a mental health perspective and that they're happy in their career. They understand like how they're growing. And I think all of those things ultimately leads to an effective workforce. That doesn't mean I don't manage them to their metrics. You know, we meet every week around exactly what they need to do. I help them see things that they can't see by themselves. That's a huge part of my position. But I think, I hope that, I would like to think that the people that work for me, we all empathize with each other. And I've never really worked in a hyper, hyper competitive cutthroat sales environment. Um, because I, especially in this part of my career, we don't create it like that. Like it's definitely, we share resources, we help each other. That is how we all get to our goal. And, uh, and I'd like to think that my, um, my team, we all are just very empathetic and um, open with each other. And that's how um, we're successful. Do you have advice or put differently? What are some of the things that today's SDRs and BDRs are doing well, especially in this COVID or virtual environment? That, that's a good question. Um, so I think um, the, the same fundamentals um, ring true even in COVID. Like I, like I just hired a, a BDR that's performing very well and he has a very hungry, um, like grateful, open, like willing to do anything, critical thinking mentality. So it's hiring the right profile. I think in COVID it's interesting because, you know, where you reach people is different. So we've been doing a lot of testing and um, what channels, um, the effect that has on cold calling, like how people feel about, you know, getting calls to their personal devices. Um, uh, candidly, we've been relying a lot on um, LinkedIn email channels. It's just like thinking critically about the problem in the state of the world that we're in. Um, and so Aaron, um, our, my, our current leader and um, outbound, um, he's been having a lot of success just leaning into those channels at a high volume. He has just really leaned into what's working. That happens to be what's working for us right now. So it's really, yeah, just thinking about what channel, what's working for you and your company at this time and 
you know, that's been, that's been the story for us. I have two more questions for you before we, we get you out of here. Uh, sure. The first is, could you tell us uh, a bit more about how BDRs and SDRs can work best with their AE counterparts now that you've seen a few different organizations do it, I presume, pretty well. Yeah, that's interesting too. So every organization, it seems these days, is um, or doing this differently. So it really depends on how, like you have SDR, BDR pairings. Um, you can be like a shared resource in one team or market segmentation. But like at the core of everything is having a good relationship with these people um, on both sides. So as an it sounds very cliche, but it's super important to have an authentic relationship. So you want to like talk to your AE and be like, what's your priority? Um, they should be bringing you ideas. You should be bringing them ideas. It's a fair exchange of value that should be like, you know, and everything in the, the work world. Um, so I think having that kind of um, that relationship and being able to do that set up formal um, time to talk to them and kind of go through the problems and the, uh, attack the accounts together, depending on how you're organized. I think that's huge. I think for the AEs too, making sure you have a clear understanding that's like really basic stuff, but of um, what NestQL is, like what um, qualifies is that some startups, it's like very ambiguous or the AE decides a little bit more. You want to make sure that um, you both are on the same page there um, and then you're producing things that look like that. Um, but at the core of this is just like um, making sure everyone's on the same page, using the same language, the same way, having a relationship and collaborating on a, on a weekly basis um, on both sides to accomplish the overall meeting goal or SQL goal. Yeah, another another great answer, and you simplified it in words that uh, you know we 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 often speak about with our with the folks in our program, but I think you put it a little more clearly. With it, just all comes down to just basic communication and just, again, treating folks like they're humans, not like they're your prospect or not like they're your AE. Uh, and, um, and I think that's, that's really well stated. Um, last question before we let you go is if you could go back in time now uh, that you have the benefit of hindsight, what advice would you give yourself, uh, Courtney, coming out of college uh, way back in the day or not, not so far back, just back in the day. Yeah, I would, um, I think the best piece of advice I can give anyone in this position is to, and it's very cliche, sorry guys, but so true. You have to trust your gut and who you are and that will prevail in every circumstance that the, all of the inflection points in my career, when I was going through something or, um, trying a new, um, uh, uh, position or new accounts that people told me I wasn't qualified for whatever this is because that's been a lot of my career um, I uh, at the end of the day I trusted who I am and my capability and that is what pushed me through and allowed me to um, uh, hit the numbers I needed to and continue to progress through my career so um, I, I like I had those moments where I was like am I doing the right thing you will have those in your career a lot and at the end of the day, you just have to know and rely on that you're incredibly capable. You are fantastic at what you do. And if you rec if you feel weaker in some areas, like, you know, um, get a mentor or take a course or talk to your boss about the things that you can do to up that skill that you feel. But, but always listen to yourself and your gut. 
And as long as you do that, you will be fine and your career will be successful, carry through any kind of adverse moments that, um, that come with being in the workplace. Great, great advice. And again, a theme that we've heard throughout this interview, um, believe in yourself, trust yourself, uh, and, and look out for yourself, have your own back. Courtney, it's been a real pleasure. It's, a, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for coming onto the pod. And there's so much that our students and our audience will learn from this episode. Again, we appreciate it so much. And I hope to have you back on someday in the future uh, after your next illustrious stop at your career where you can <laughs> drop some more knowledge on all of us. That's very kind. Thank you both for having me so much. Thanks, Courtney. Thank you. Yeah.